0: 4Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give 4Tales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Everyone. I have the honor today of being joined by my friend Pat McGill. Pat and I met uh, a couple of years ago during COVID, actually, uh, fostered a relationship through a mutual love of food and uh, strategy and just thinking. And so um, it just made sense to have Pat on. He has a great history that you're going to unpack on the call today, or call <laughs> their session today, I should say. Um, but Pat, say hello, give a quick little backstory.
1: Sure. Thank you very much. And I'm glad to be here. I'll have to say that in terms of the uh, the three things that you mentioned, I brought the food aspect to it. You brought the strategy and the thinking for sure. But, uh, anyway, thank you very much for having me on Joseph. It's great to be here. Um, and yeah, I, the love of food, not so much as well as an eater, as well as, um, uh, as someone who's been in the restaurant industry almost my entire life. Um, my very first job my favorite job that wasn't a paper route <laughs> and i'm not going to date myself too badly but was at a ponderosa in the little town that i grew up in uh ponderosa steakhouse for those that might remember it where i bust tables and then eventually was the dish picker which was the guy in the back with the big spray and and got all the dishes clean and sent it through and um, I did that for a couple months and then I joined a, a local McDonald's as one of their crew as, you know, burger guy, uh, flipping burgers, doing all the things, um, which was a great experience for me as a teenager because it, it gave me, um, especially in the McDonald's experience, it gave me an idea of serving the customers, but also being... Um, one that had uh, stewardship of a brand to a certain extent. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll kind of come back to this uh, in a little bit, I'm sure. But when I did this, so I will date myself. It was in the mid eighties, mid to late eighties. I was in high school and we weren't on the, the coasts. So this happened where I lived a little bit later in the eighties, but the malls and the video stores, when they really started to come up, um, it became a a more attractive place for teenagers to go to work because it was basically it was air conditioned. Um I mean the video store and I'm really dating myself Joseph. I didn't <laughs> need to do this. This is where I need your strategic thinking. But the, you know the video store is, is you know it was air conditioned and you just sat and checked out videos where we were working working working. But um it was a great experience for me in the sense that I got to learn a lot about business as well, right? Because McDonald's at the time um it's still a great brand but it was a it was huge back in in those days because there wasn't as much um call it uh, clutter in the marketplace so to speak and um that led to during my summers uh when i went to college uh, i would come home and i would be the open up setup guy at those mcdonald's which meant that i'd get there at 11 o'clock at night i would take apart the restaurant i was in there with one other person um and uh, I would take apart the restaurant and put it together while that person mopped the floors and and um, listened to a lot of Guns and Roses. Um, <laughs> but uh, the great thing is, is I, I literally took apart a restaurant every night, cleaned it, and put it back together. Grills, soda machines, shake machines, fry vats, all the different things, um, stocking the back room, the little storage room. So I really got. I didn't know I was training for a career in the food service industry, but. I got an idea not only of what it meant to be front of the house, boy, did I understand the back of the house and how limited space really exists for any restaurateur when it comes to that, that kind of thing. Um, in, uh, in college, uh, I explored a couple other things after, after that. I, even though I always continued to work in food service to pay my way, whether it was a pizza, pizza place in uh, Champagne or a hot dog stand in Champagne, I went to the University of Illinois, um or uh, working as a bellman at the uh, university inn at the time um still dealing with the public still dealing with hospitality but i also had a radio show and i also dreamed of doing some acting at some point in time believe it or not which is not the path i took because uh as i like to say i don't have that thing um what is it called oh, talent talent um, talent <laughs> is what it is anyway um uh, as I got my MBA, but right, right before I got my MBA, I did a little stint of studying improvisational acting in Chicago. I was fortunate enough to be in the um, Second City uh, Training Centers Conservatory, which is their higher end of training. So it's it's uh, well below anything that you would actually see on stage. Those people are masters at their work. But it was training from those folks. Right. Um, which really gave me a great basis in life. And we'll talk a little bit about that and where I landed. But uh, as I said, I went in to get my MBA. I had an internship at the McDonald's Corporation in their family marketing group, uh, which was great because then I really got to understand brands and the importance of um, holding a brand true. And I worked after that five years with the marketing store worldwide, Uh, doing Happy Meal toys for McDonald's in the late 90s. Did 10 Happy Meal toys. This led to a a job with Coca-Cola. And I spent uh, 20 years up until last November uh, working with uh, Coca-Cola, working at Coca-Cola, primarily in their food service and on-premise division, working with customers from the smallest mom and pops to uh, some of the largest uh, that they had, inclusive of uh, some of the large concessionaires that do at work dining and, and uh, hospital dining, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, a year ago I left Coca-Cola and a wonderful career and very proud to have been there. Um, but I got an opportunity and, um, and I set all this other stuff to set it up that I joined a company called the green room collective, which to say it simply, it combines everything I love about improvisation and Combines it with everything I learned about business um, into the perfect dream job for me. And the the role of the Green Room Collective and our and our reason for being is is really to um, help big teams or little teams get unstuck, so to speak, around the big problems that they might have. And I'll explain that in a little bit. I hope a little bit soon. But um, really, it's all about how we can bring energy and uh, liberate people's minds so that they can find those transformal, for, transformational ideas that can be a little bit difficult. And um, we, our core belief is that uh, the people that know the business are the people that work there day, day in and day out. And you don't always have to go outside to get the answers to the big problems that you have with agencies or consultancies. Sometimes it's just about figuring out a ways to liberate your thinking. And the answers are right there. And we love to bring that to to light. So that's kind of a little bit about me. Um, As you can tell, I'm very passionate about um, ideation and creativity, as well as the restaurant industry and, and restaurants in general. I've always loved the idea of a restaurant because even if you're refueling, it's always something special.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think it's obviously why why I've been drawn to the industry as well throughout my my life. So you have this nice, rich history in in restaurants as well as uh, business in general. Coca-Cola helps solidify a lot Mm -hmm. of that thinking from a a different perspective. And now you're a Green Room Collective. So there are a lot of consultants, uh, especially here in Atlanta, or at least alum of Coca-Cola. I mean, Coca-Cola goes through a, uh, we'll we'll just call it a shedding of skin every
1: few years. Your your, Um, your words, I won't say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. So, I mean, we we all know, anyone that's in in the industry uh, here in Atlanta, uh, or at least ancillary to it knows that, um, your contacts at Coca-Cola are are pretty much on, you know, borrowed time for all intents and purposes, especially lately, where these these rounds have happened frequently. IHG has seen the same thing. Um, but I think what's good from that is is what happens is the alum of Coca-Cola brings that bank of knowledge and expertise out there. And so you end up seeing a lot of consultants for better or for worse, like you said. So you found this stride with the green room collective, which allows you to take your improv chops. Talent is there, whether Mm -hmm. you choose to believe it or not, Um, your passion. What's that talent strong? (laughs) Chops might be strong. Okay. So I'll say jobs. So your your, your talents and passions there, yeah, your expertise yeah. from this rich history uh, of leadership at Coca-Cola, and then your overall passion for, I think, just helping in general um, into what is technically a consultancy, but a different approach to it. So it's not agency, yeah. it's not cons- consultant, it's more of a I mean, what would we call it like a spark to get you over the hump a uh, an impetus or, or a catalyst for uh overcoming challenges
1: yeah i think i think that um if it were, we were to be well first of all i want to say that I, I i would challenge the idea that there's always a constant churn there's a lot of people at coca-cola have had long careers and we're very fortunate to have had them um i think it's just there are a lot of people that are employed there so it seems yeah, like it yeah. happens a lot but i think that um, across the board, no matter if it's, it's folks that are there for a short time or f- for a long time, it, it, it definitely provides you with um, a lot of great tools, um, both a- as you work there and when you get out of there. So it was a great experience. And I know that um, there's a lot of reasons why probably people have gone on to be consultants from there because they've learned a lot and they have a lot to share. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll explain
0: why I say constant. shirt. So in my time here in Atlanta yeah, yeah. of like 12 years, I've seen three rounds. Mm.
1: So I think that's and that's corporate America in general. I don't think that's anything that's unique to Coke. But um, uh, one of the things that um, you asked about was the Green Room Collective, what it is. If I were to use technical terms, right, we're a design thinking company. Consultancy probably is the best term. Because we're not really an agency that goes off and creates things. We really believe in this idea of in-sourced creativity, right? So we're really helping bringing the best thinking from the people who work on the on the business day to day. And we and if and if we had a, a, a sweet spot, it's probably an innovation. Um, innovative business solutions is probably a better way of putting it because it doesn't necessarily have to be, always feeding an innovation pipeline, but we've ab- we've absolutely helped do things like that. Um, it can also be a fresh way of thinking about your brand platforms or how you handle human resources issues, mm-hmm. um, uh, engagement, things like that. It really, um, to pinpoint, and this is where it gets difficult to pinpoint, right? So I'll start with design thinking and we bring lateral, lateral thinking and other creative techniques to bear to, to do it to bring out innovative thinking with, with companies, but really, and truly we help solve problems. So it's not just marketing or innovation or research or human resources or team building or facilitation or all those things. It really always for us starts with the brief. What is it that, what is the opportunity that exists that we're trying to solve for, or what is the issue that we're trying to solve? Right. And then we build, what's needed to solve that based on what we discover as we go through the process. Right. So um, it, that was a long winded answer, uh, which as we've probably already discovered on this fine podcast today, nothing with me is going to be a short winded answer. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but, That's okay. But well, so um, real, real yeah. quick, you said the brief
0: though. So, um mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of people talk, in depth about solutions how to Mm -hmm. solve problems ideas on how to Mm -hmm. overcome them absolutely i have found as many other folks have found is that solving a problem effectively starts by identifying the correct problem
1: yeah so
0: So what kind of work goes into that? Like so, for instance, I know there's some methodologies out there. Uh, one that I'm quite fond of, or at least I'm fond of the story, is the the five whys approach. I believe it was Toyota or maybe Mitsubishi. Yeah, sure. Sorry about that. Um, where you know you ask why five times, and you can actually find the root of sure. the problem. So you know our air conditioner doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Well, right. it's coming on, but it's not staying on. Why is it not staying on? Well, this part seems to be broken. Right. Why did that part break? So you, so at that point, you could actually stop and say, well, replace the part problem solved. Right. But that would be an incorrect problem to solve because you have to find out why did that part break? Correct. You know, Oh, the part broke because it's getting too much energy. Why is it getting too much energy? Oh, because this system that we created doesn't have an appropriate mechanism to, uh, you know, mitigate that energy and you know, stop a search. That's okay. Exactly right. That's the problem to fix. So how do you approach that? Do you, do you collaboratively create briefs with clients to, to yeah, find the absolutely.
1: right problem? 100%. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know if we put it into the, the context of ask that that many wise, although we're familiar with that. I think what it is is really exploring with the, usually it's primary point person that is, it will work with it as respond. Usually if, you know, on the, um, on the old, um, Oh, my gosh, I forgot the term, but accountability. Um, um, oh, my gosh, it's got an acronym. I've been gone from the corporate world so long, I don't remember an acronyms anymore. But uh, uh, the model that's responsibility, accountability, input, I think I've got it some, some rainy model or something like that. Okay. yeah. The person who's responsible and accountable for it is usually the person that we work with. And in that, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a lot of exploration with them to ask them questions and to get deep into what they're really trying to solve, to ask the why behind it. And in addition to that, to ask, um, why is it important not only uh, that it gets solved, but why is it important for the people who might be impacted for it? We really try to look at every opportunity or, or op- a solution that needs to be found from a 360 degree, uh, approach initially. And there's reasons for that, not only to get behind the why. So you make sure that you're getting the right question that gets to the core of the answer that needs to be, um, the core of the solution that needs to be answered, which I'm sure that's terrible grammar. I apologize to my, my <laughs> English for many years. Um, but it's also about identifying and make sure we have the right scope and output, right? Right. Um, a lot of times things are left open-ended and you don't ask the questions about what does success look like? What is the, what are the things that we have to make sure that are out of scope that we don't touch? Well, do you have a budget constraint? Are there uh, constraints within a uh, functional constraints uh, business constraints, even political constraints that might exist? within the context of your, um, company to understand really what we're working with and to make sure that the brief is so tight that it's something that's solvable, but it's still broad enough that it's crackable, right. So that we can explore it. And we, um, do a couple of different, um, techniques around that where we, um, really, uh, work with the, um, the, the, the client or the, the point person to get there. You know, one of them is, kind of the one of the tools i'm sharing some of our bad but like a like we use a funnel of kind of asking if it's too broad we'll we'll ask well why do we what what, uh, how do we need to do how does it need to be done and it kind of brings it down to more actionable stuff Mm -hmm. it's too broad you know why does it need to be do why do we need to do it and it gets into more of the strategy around it and we can kind of work with the with the client to get to a point where this is the brief this is what we want to go after and then we align across the stakeholders to make sure that we're answering the right question so it is it's it, you know i think every part of our process is important it might be easily the most important when it comes to uh what we do
0: yeah i think that's that's where a lot of folks uh leaders miss miss the mark or maybe that's being a little brazen but they, they, that's the first wrong turn is in thinking that they have a finger on the pulse as to what the real problem is and then they solve that and they find that the problem isn't actually solved at all how how much do you weight do you put into i don't want to say circumnavigating but maybe getting more boots on the ground with finding that problem so for instance if you talk to let's say a uh you know, an operations manager of a region, let's just say a region of a number Mm -hmm. of uh, multi-unit brand or whatever, um, we're getting a lot of complaints about our fries, fries suck. Okay, he or she takes a look at it and says, well, the problem's simple, they're not following the recipe, therefore we need training. Right. And so you go through all that training, training is successful, people have learned the recipe, Mm -hmm. they're following the recipe, fries still suck. Right. Because what was really wrong, was the procedures for changing the oil didn't have the right, money, you know, the right mm-hmm. timeline. And if you would have asked the guy or gal on the line, they would have said, well, we change our oil every six months instead of every three to save money, but it changes the flavor. That's why we're getting these complaints. You know what I mean? So you you deal with your point person, but how much of what you do on the upfront does involve saying, Yeah, we're hearing what you're saying, but we really need to speak to this person down here to get the bottom up perspective. Right.
1: Yeah, I would, I would, I would answer that uh, two ways. First of all, I, I, I would say, and I, I'd love to come back to this. I don't find that the people, because we're usually dealing with, you know, folks that are you know higher up and a little bit further away from the actual problem. I don't necessarily find that they're not asking the right questions. I think that I'm finding is that they know that there's a problem and there's there's they're trying to figure out the why as much as anything else. But the time constraints that that they have, and the uh, multiple things that are being juggled in the air, make it very difficult for them to do that investigation themselves. And so, yeah. a lot of times, teams start to make assumptions. So it, it it can be a little bit more about making assumptions, and I and we definitely can help there. The other the other component of it is is sometimes, and I'd love to explore this on a bit. It's it's not that it's the questions that are being asked or the um, the tactics that are being against it. It's that it's tough to break through because the process of thinking is um, kind of the same old, same old, and it's about breaking free of that. But I would say that in terms of our approach, the, we get clearly aligned on the brief. The next step really is what we call mining the known. or And sometimes we make the joke of mining, mining with a D, minding the known, but it's really then where we get—that's where the 360-degree aspect of it, or as we like to call it, sometimes the ecosystem of the of the problem, right? And that's where we start asking the questions all around and up and down of anyone that could possibly be a stakeholder of what's going on. In which case, you would be starting to—you would, in your example, probably would uh, talk to somebody who was actually doing it, or a store manager, or even a crew member and saying, getting their input and just listening. And that's one of the main things that I would say is so important when it comes to what we do. And it's one of the things that I loved uh, that was connected to what I learned with improvisation, which is it's so important to listen and to not go in with a preconceived notion of what the answer is, but to listen and discover. And in doing that, you, you uncover so many, so many things sometimes, um, that were in plain sight. They just weren't thought about, and um, so um, our second part of the process actually gets to what we're we're talking about in that sense. That really getting sense. into the data as well as the people who are the stakeholders.
0: Yeah, because you know this interests me, especially right now when I look at the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. Um, have, have had a lot of conversations on this show and outside of this show um, about the labor shortage, mm-hmm. quote unquote, um, or, or there's other terms for it, mm-hmm. the, the great resignation, mm-hmm. uh, which is on the more business uh, to business side, not necessarily mm-hmm. the food industry. Um, and what I see is I see solutions out there mm-hmm. that aren't working um, necessarily, because I think the identification of the problem is wrong, mm-hmm. um, or at least par-baked. Um, so there is a lot of group of people that would say the reason why people aren't coming back to work is the government is paying them to stay home. Um, but I think that's, there's some truth there, but it's not the sole reason. Um, I've heard a lot of other anecdotal reasons that make sense too. For instance, instability. So if I know that I'm going to get a paycheck every week from the government, why would I go back to work if the threat of shutdowns again are there? which is something that's happened to a number of folks that I mm-hmm. talked to and words, you know, secondhand, obviously from them, but words that they heard, like the question was, Hey, mm-hmm. why don't you want to come back to work? Sure. And quite honestly, the person's like, cause I'm scared it's going to shut down again. Yeah. And you know, I can't, I can't afford to have a missed week without pay or whatever. Yeah. So that's another layer. There's all these other layers, but what you see is let's just pay him more money, mm-hmm. you know, and so. which I think is to be really tackle that, are we really tackling the real problem Um, or is it a misdiagnosis? And and so, I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of believe that with the, the reasons for the labor shortage, I think a lot of the stuff that you mentioned, it, it, it all kind of goes into the ragu so to speak. Right. I I don't, I don't, I'm not one that subscribes kind of like what you said, that there is one thing that's causing it. Um, But I think that you could say with, certain degree of certainty that it is a result of whatever happened through the course of the the COVID crisis, right? And yes, maybe the government paychecks is part of that, but those have pretty much run out, um, you know, so we're going to see if that had any impact. I think that there's, and, and I'll bring it specifically to food service and hospitality, right? Um, I think that there is was and we've heard this in some of the work we've done with some of our clients um, in in doing some of the 360 investigation that I talked about is um, there was a lot of introspection that took place uh, with consumers over the course of being um, home and and sequestered, so to speak, quarantine, so to speak, for uh, that long of a time. And um, the introspection was also um, fed by the idea of prior to COVID, you know, there was a, every, what they said, what quote unquote they said was the path, whatever that would be. You know, you, you go to college, you get a job, you keep your job. If you, uh, don't go to college, a, a great, a great job is working in, uh, you know, as a, a waiter or a waitress or a server, um, um, or as uh, someone in a restaurant or in the hospitality industry, or you go off and you do other things. And I think all of a sudden, those things that they say, uh, were, no one was protected when COVID came, right? And so then I think people started to really question. Uh, they really started to question for themselves. I and mean, it was a great way. I mean, I think individuals really started to think about it. And so that's probably why it's so hard to pinpoint what the root cause is, right? Because some could be I'm making all, I have all this money that I was able to get from the government. So I don't want to go back to work. Others might be, I'm really afraid of COVID and I don't want to go into a job where I have to be around people, uh, in mm-hmm. that, it, it, and with, and in some places and, um, where they don't have to wear masks. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, other things could be, you know, co- what COVID did for sure. Is it, uh, hyper accelerated our move to, um, uh, D- digital commerce, right? We were already moving fast that way. Let's, I'm not saying it was invented because of COVID, but I would say that uh, the it, it moved from early adoption to mass adoption quicker than it would have. And I'm thinking of you know folks in my generation and older because in COVID you realize, hey, I can I have anything I want right here at my fingertips. Yep. I can order it. So what that did was it hyper-accelerated the industry of um, delivery. And um, and I'm not talking about just about food delivery, because I think one of the great competitors now that food service has is uh, the Amazons, the FedExes, the UPSs, uh, anyone that's doing the mass delivery because it's grown so much. And it's kind of, and this is, I had a feeling we'd come here, it kind of goes back to, I haven't seen a shift like this since the malls and and the video stores and things where Teenagers and those that worked in restaurants had another alternative that paid either just as much or in some cases a little bit more where they didn't have to deal with being in a kitchen, deal with uh, consumers, et cetera, et cetera, or customers, the public, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not saying anything against the public, but it's a tough job, right? And so now food services is competing with these places that are not only, um, you know, your hours are pretty much set. you you're, You get paid by the hour. You know what you're going to do when you get there, when you get out. Um, it may not be cool, but it's probably air conditioned or heated, whatever. And, and you're kind of doing it and you probably could put your earbuds in and do your job and get paid to do it. Whereas you when you're in a restaurant, you, that's a really you have to have a really specialized job in a restaurant to be able to put your earbuds in and just do it. Right. Right. you got to be constantly listening, constantly focusing on the consumer. So I think um Getting to the underlying cause of all those things will be difficult. What I would say for restaurants in particular is that I think that um, restaurants have an opportunity to talk about what makes them great as as a job, right? Mm -hmm. There are definitely things about a restaurant that it's tough, and I just mentioned them, right? But one of the things that I love about restaurants, I loved about restaurants when I was involved with them and I was going and getting my MBA, right? Mm-hmm. Or as I thought about it from a strategic standpoint, et cetera, et cetera. A restaurant is a, is a small, full business microcosm. It has everything that a large business has to deal with all in its four walls. It has supply chain. It's got inventory. It's got uh, uh, customer support, so to speak, or customer service. It's got branding. You have to be aware of branding. You have to be aware of experience. You have to be aware of quality. You have to be aware of what comes in and what goes out, right? I, I, learned, I learned the phrase, phrase uh, penny profit many, 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 many years ago, and I know how important it is. Um, I, I think lean into that. I think that there's an opportunity to to promote the idea that a career in a restaurant doesn't necessarily have to just be the labor aspect of it. You could really have an opportunity to learn something that can take you to the next place. And I think the restaurants need to be open to, we could be training people. It was just like they were back in the 80s, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, McDonald's was either surpassed or was second to the army in training people to go out into the world with skills, right? Uh, It was some big stat like that. I think that that opportunity exists again. I think they got away from it. And I think that there's a huge opportunity to come back to, hey, wait a minute. We could offer this as a way for people to, if they wanted a career in business, to learn about how to run a business. Um, You just have to be open to trusting. And you're probably going to have to be, um, extremely, um, diligent about who you hire. Right. Um, but I, I I think that that's an opportunity. I I think, um, the other opportunities exist beyond just pay. It's about recognizing how tough it is to do the job Mm -hmm. and, um, making sure that you can do whatever you can do to control the controllables of the experience for, uh, for the for the workers and if it, it, you know this isn't this isn't a new um idea and i'm not saying that people don't do it but i will say it as a reminder if you've got somebody good do whatever you can to make them happy and keep them because to replace somebody good is really really hard so yeah i
0: mean replacing everybody too i mean of course that is a hundred percent correct but mm-hmm. the, the cost of replacement is so high and a lot of i would say small businesses um i don't mean that demeaning i mean strictly uh, numbers and category yeah Yeah, it's really tough to think about that like um it it, it just recruiting finding interviewing training all of that just adds up and if you're not measuring it then you really don't understand it but if you start to measure it it starts to get very real very quick um you know an analogy to that is when i started measuring galleries you know (laughs) i'm like wait I just had three glasses of wine, right? That is almost 500 calories, which is 25% of my daily intake. Right. Anyway, it just starts to make a lot more sense and why you need to keep those people. I mean, we have a lot of people that are, like you said, going out and exploring new career paths Mm -hmm. too. And there's any way to combat that, except reinforcing the role of restaurants as, as a career path. Yeah. Um, even if it doesn't mean the career stays within the, the restaurant industry.
1: Right. And, and-, and that's, that's exactly right. And that's exactly what I'm saying, because I think that what restaurants have done in reaction to this as has been to, if it is called a labor battle, fight the labor battle in an area that's not their strength, which is to pay more. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I would say that, they, they have an opportunity to express. And this goes, this goes a little bit beyond this is restaurants. I would also say the same thing for hotels, hospitality as well. Um, um, and things of that nature, it, it, it goes to, you really have an opportunity to promote what's great about a restaurant. What's great about the experience that you get in a restaurant. What's great about how it sets you up for success in life. And if you invest a little, a little bit of time in that, a little bit of energy in that, um, I think it could pay dividends. And I think that you could find examples in the marketplace where, um, restaurants have done that successfully. Right. Right. Yeah. That's not a new idea. It's just, I would say it's, it's, it's one that maybe all should be looking at for the industry.
0: Yeah. And I think there's lessons to learn from other business models and categories out there too, that, you know, again, a lot of times when someone's opening a restaurant, it's just balls to the wall. Um, you know, and they don't really think much beyond the shift or beyond the week um, when it comes it's to, to,
1: because it's, that's, that's it's really to tough to, yeah.
0: yeah, you know, but anything worth doing is a little bit difficult. Sure. And so w- what I'm getting at though, is uh, one thing that we have done at vigor to date has been, we share the numbers twice a year, you know, we, we share our revenue and how it gets allocated, which makes conversations about compensation and raises and business mechanics, mm-hmm. Um, a lot easier and a lot more approachable. And I think one thing that we know, not just we at Vigor, but yeah. um, mo- most leaders is that the 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 labor pool today, and I really don't like that word, but we'll use it. Um, the labor pool today wants to feel like what they're doing has some sort of positive impact sure. in the world. And that doesn't mean that it has to be philanthropic and endeavor or focus, but they want to know that what they did matter beyond... Uh, the the industrial era understanding really? of I've put in an hour I got yeah. money in my hand. Sure, and I think a lot of businesses, not just restaurants, are quite terrible at that. Um, you know, they don't really do a great job of saying, "Okay, Pat, this is what you do every day. This is your part of the machine, and this machine is succeeding as a result." Uh, as opposed to yeah. come in, do your job, do it well, or I'll yell at you. Maybe you'll get a high five if you do it mm-hmm. well. Um, but that's about it. And I'm going to pay you and that's good enough. And I think that's where things need to shift.
1: I, but I would say that, that, that a lot of restaurants do that very well. I I, I think, I think that maybe, um, or maybe I should say a lot of restaurant chains do that very well. I mean, you see a lot of, um, they do a lot of good. There's a lot of great charitable organizations that have, that have sprouted from, um, large restaurants. And you can just see, you know, Ronald McDonald House Charities, Lenny's, um, yeah, yeah. Dave Thomas Foundation. They said that it kind of keeps going on and on and on. I think that, and I think some of them do a very good job of talking about even in the, the local areas, mom and pops, so to speak, for lack of a better term, um, call it one outlet restaurants. You know, they they could have very strong principles about environment, about the food that they use, the farm to table aspect. So I think a lot of them do it well. I think that, that it would, that it would I would say it as if you're not thinking about how you talk about what you do as being bigger than just making a sale or, or getting, you know, as, as the restaurant is making a sale or, um, getting your hours done. So you get your paycheck. I think that that is, I think that that would be a, a, a weakness if you were doing a SWOT analysis, because I think to your point, a, uh, the, um, those who are in Potential uh, workforce uh, see it as something that's necessary now, but it's also about the brand. I think that if a brand isn't doing that nowadays, if a brand isn't showing from like I said, a one outlet um, operation to a you know 40,000 chain 40,000 chain or outlet chain, um, if they're not talking about what their impact is for the betterment of the world, either subtly or overtly depending on what's right for their brand i think that's a missed opportunity and i think it actually could put them at a disadvantage but i think a lot do that very well i think where the bigger ones definitely but i'm thinking they they do even do more things. than i mean not I you can think about locally you can think of you know i can think of restaurants that really celebrate their farm to table aspect and their and their lack of carbon footprint and we'll talk about you know um heck that they profit share with their employees or their employees become part of the business you know there's there's a lot of them that do that. And I I don't think, I I guess what my main area is size doesn't have to be the factor there.
0: No, it doesn't. And, you know, I I also want to make clear that it's not necessarily about philanthropic. I think it's more positive
1: impact on positive impact on something. Just, yeah, just impact, you know, that, that
0: I am more than just a machine that has a heartbeat in a cardiovascular and nervous
1: system. Wait you know. a minute. now I'm gonna hire somebody five bucks. If that's the case on your I thought you were a rope. No,
0: <laughs> you know. So I think that's what's really important, especially when you get to the the small, like the micro, the micro businesses, like the one unit or up to five units or something like that, where they are in the grind. Leaders are in the grind, and and they're jumping from location to location, just moving this to here, always on fire. Yeah. Um, now, of course, these are blanket statements and they're exceptions, but I think what's rough is it's really hard to not feel like a waiter
1: you know yeah i think I, so
0: i guess I put so put the order I, in i get the food i deliver it, i ask how it is go on well
1: i mean you know? i think everybody has their day right you know you always have a days like that you can you could you could work at the sure. most philanthropic most important i have days store. like that here and you I have mean, days right everybody's got the day i think i think where the reminder has to come and this kind of goes back to the business model that i was talking about but restaurants are in the service industry and it's, it's a service industry. We we are of service to the consumer that comes in. And, and the people who start restaurants, right? The ones that have done them, at least in the recent uh, past all the way to now, they do it because they have a passion for taking what they love, food, and serving it to others and providing it to others and creating an experience that they wanna share, right? And I think that they, that, that, that celebrating that aspect shouldn't be shied away from as well. And that as an employee of a restaurant, whether as a server or as the person in the back room, um, with the three sinks doing the, the, the wash, the Santa wash, the rinse and all that probably got those out of order or somebody on the, on the grill or the stove or the oven, everyone is a component of that service to the consumer that walks in the door. And I think that reminding people of that uh, responsibility and their need, their not only the impact that they have in impacting that, that uh, responsibility, but their stewardship of it that will come out in the experience that the consumer has, and it can only be good for your business. And to tell you the truth, if you think about it, it's it, it doesn't really cost that much more to implement something like that. It's more just about talking about it, living it, Making sure that people understand their their um, their role, their their impact, their input to the greater good. Um, so even in the aspect of the business of a restaurant, serving right, not just being a server but serving, being of service, it's uh, it, it it could be celebrated more. I think.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and, and explained and just yeah. reinforced. I think well, that goes uh, with
1: everything, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of times people the same with training. I think a lot of people, a lot of organizations, um, they take you through it and that's it. And it's like, that's meant to stick yeah, right now. Okay. Not the big organizations, but they have training down like, yeah. like the yeah. army, like you said, but on the smaller scale, it's like training requires reinforcement as does, uh, flexing the muscle that what you do matters beyond the basic mechanics of goods and services and let's sure. just say capitalism. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not an anti-capitalist by any means. I'm a business owner, but uh, it's good to, for people to understand that their role in this doesn't just line the leader's pockets.
1: Sure. Um, yeah that there
0: is a benefit to the world. And that benefit doesn't necessarily have to mean some grandiose, you know, philanthropic cause. Yeah. It, it can just simply mean people got their order on time correctly. Sure. They're happy, they're eating, and
1: they're moving on with their lives as a result. Um, and they, so made that's the great. they made their day just a little bit better because of it. I mean, right. that, that, that making somebody's day just a little bit better is it's a great purpose. Which you know? is why I
0: mean, McDonald's needs to launch adult Happy Meals. Immediately. <laughs> uh, they do. I, I want great. a little toy. Yeah, it's called the number two with a Coke.
1: Um, right. No, but I want a toy. Where's my toy? I want your toy. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for restaurants to to celebrate what makes them great. And to make sure that they're reinforcing that, and I think that that could help with, in a small way, the, the, you know, w- with the labor uh, challenges that they have, and then, you know, um, it, it make sure that uh, you know the good ones that you have celebrate them. Um, people right. people like a pat on the back, you know, and it's not just the money. I mean, the money is part of it, but um, and that comes back. I think I've seen in all the the different. Uh, companies, large and small, I've worked with over the 25 years, the most successful are always the ones that invest in their people.
0: Yeah. And I think you kind of touched on a little bit. I think that's really important to remember. Um, You know, think of your family, think of your friends and think of yourself as the way they, your family and friends treat you. Not that you should befriend your employees and yada, yada. I mean, you can be friendly, but don't cross a line to where they feel like they get special treatment. But when you're faced with the, Hey, this person has done a good job, good enough to where it warrants not some sort of extra thing. Money in the purest form doesn't necessarily equate the, the, the right path, meaning sure. I can give you 20 bucks. It's 20 bucks. Or if I just knew you a little bit and realized that, Hey, you love improvisation yeah. and comedy why wouldn't I get you tickets to a comedy show instead? Yeah. Because it shows one, the benefits there, but two, it shows I I know you a little little bit. I've invested in you. Yeah. Um, Money isn't always the correct transaction for benefiting your team.
1: Sure. I mean, I think it's, I think I would maybe say what you're saying, but a little bit different. And it kind of goes back to the, what I've always thought of as the second rule that I learned at second city in, in when they were giving us the training and the first was always yes. And I think people know the idea of yes. And and building et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, um, we, we were, we were in training and, um, I remember this night distinctly and we were all doing, we were all doing the techniques, right. We were all doing what we were taught to do technically. Right. Mm-hmm. And we were all focused on making sure that each one of us was technically doing the right thing. remember? And we were dying. It was terrible. It was, it was worse than mediocre improv. Um, and I am an expert in mediocre improv. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, the instructor uh, stopped us. And um, he said, I don't forget, he said, you, you guys got to remember, this is the second thing you or you didn't say the second thing. I don't know exact words, but he basically said, you got to let go. And you got to remember that your job on stage, the number one job on stage you have, is to forget about yourself and focus on making sure everybody around you has what they need to be great and just have faith that they're doing the same right those words and then all of a sudden the rest of the night was one of the most magical nights i've ever experienced in terms of that thing if you think about those words in the way you think about the people that you work with whether they're peers or whether the people that are part of your team that you're owning a restaurant etc what can i do to support them, to make sure that they have everything that I can control so that they can be great. And that doesn't necessarily mean spend more. It means what you're kind of talking about. If it's knowing them and knowing what makes them tick and they, they appreciate the fact that they've you've got their back, that could be what I'm talking about. It could be, hey, I know you got a big week coming up. You got the week off next week. It could be whatever it is. It could be making sure that they have the right tools to do their job. Maybe that does cost money, but it pays off, right? But if your approach is about how do I support for their success and just have faith that they're doing it for you, I think that's the secret sauce of all those businesses I talked about that focused on their people. I think when they did that, and and that that has always been the – of all the stuff that I took away from the experience back then in Chicago in, in the 90s, that phrase is the one that I took the most, and I think it's one that all businesses could think about and all all leaders, all teammates can think about, but especially when you're talking about, and this is all about creating culture, right? It's about the right culture to be successful, and it's what can you do, and you have to do it. Obviously, within this gets back to the scope, right, within the context of what your business can handle, um, but I would definitely think about those things. I would also think about um, to enable that using as much as you can technology to do the jobs that don't need the personal touch. Whatever you can do to employ technology to do those things, take advantage of it.
0: Yeah. Right. I uh, I think I'm gonna be on a mission for the rest of my life to fight yes and with a new approach, which is the no but or
1: the maybe or yeah. approach. Yeah. That would lead to, I can tell you that they would say that would lead to mediocre improv. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just depends how creative you are. I don't you know? know.
0: You could say, um, so you would say that would lead to mediocre. It probably would say no, but it would be fun. <laughs> okay. You know, Fair. maybe, maybe, or it could be brilliant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I can go there with you, Joseph, but <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Are you saying no, but no, um, I'm saying it? yes. And I think that would not work.
0: <laughs> 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 well, Pat, this has been amazing as always. I love conversations with you and I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and sharing a little bit of the way you think and yeah. how that manifests in, in the Green Room Collective. Yeah. Um, where can people find you and where can people find the Green Room Collective? Yeah. So
1: the Green Room Collective is the greenroomcollective.com and it's all one word, um, the Green Room Collective. Um, a little background, the Green Room, for those of you who might be thinking it's something backstage, it's actually a surfing term and it is... One of our founders uh, is a big surfer and it is the Zen moment when the wave is at the perfect place with the surfer. And as it's coming to shore for that moment, that moment of clarity when everything works. Right. So the green room is really about that energy all coming together in one place when um, everything comes right uh, together. Um, And the collective obviously is we believe in. Uh, bringing people together that are like-minded against a challenge, and um, helping them uh, helping them uh, find that insight that will take them to the next spot. But the Green Room Collective is thegreenroomcollective.com. Make sure you do .com. Um, when the company was formed, certain states didn't have certain things that were legal. And so different dots or different manifestations of that will take you someplace different um, I'm at Pat I mine is Pat at the greenroom com or I'm on LinkedIn um, linkedin.com uh, slash in slash uh, Patrick slash McGill not underscore but slash uh, not slash um, dash dash sorry yep. McGill and um, come give us a call we um, we recognize um, one of the things that we base our whole business on is a person by the name of Edward de Bono, who was famous for creativity and who's the hats of creativity. But he talked about the idea that, you know, all of our experiences uh, help us learn. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we build up so much of learning because it helps us do things faster that we create these uh, streams of recognition that create, the same way of doing things over and over again. But what happens is, is that we get locked out from the other stuff that might impact because it would be clutter in your day to day. And so if you get a team that is looking to break from that clutter and we recognize that your people know better than anyone else, we'd love to work with you and help you find something that was above and beyond restaurants or otherwise. And I can't thank you enough, Joseph, for having me on. I wish you all the best. Um, with fork tails and everything else, and um, thank you.
0: Absolutely, man. Yeah, it was wonderful having you. And Thanks. until next time. Until next time. <laughs> Love what we've served up? Please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Four Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post productions provided by ZenCaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through MusicBed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021 Vigor Graphic Design LLC. All rights reserved.